Well, good morning, Mercy House. Uh, my name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here, and I uh, want to welcome you to our sixth, can you believe that, sixth uh, live stream uh, service. And uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 9. Hopefully you've gotten to opening your Bibles uh, by now or opening it up on your phone. Uh, this is, I would say, it's the most important, uh, in some ways, the most important verses in Luke. Everything that's been leading up to this moment informs this uh, bit of passage here, and then everything after it uh, will be informed by this, uh, this passage. And it, it answers a lot of questions. It answers questions like, who is Jesus? Uh, it answers questions like, what did Jesus come to accomplish? Uh, questions like, what does he want me to do about it? Right? How should I respond? And then what's going to happen if I do or I don't respond in this way that he's calling me uh, to? So first question, who is Jesus? Um, we see this answered in these uh, verses 18 uh, through 21. Uh, it's a little bit of a Q&A between Jesus and the disciples. Interestingly enough, Jesus is asking the questions and uh, the disciples are giving the answers. So verse 18, now it happened that as uh, he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do you, or who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. So Jesus starts uh, asking the questions. He's asking them who uh, just people in general say Jesus is. And uh, there seems to be a lot of rumors about that. The, the, the disciples are quick to answer. And they say, Well, some say you're John the Baptist back from the dead. And uh, some say you're Elijah, the prophet, who's also back from the dead, which there was a common belief and understanding among the Jews that Elijah would somehow come back to be a forerunner of the coming Messiah. So these are some pretty big claims, even though they're not the ultimate claim. Uh, but then Jesus gets more direct, and he asks uh, the disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And of course, uh, Peter doesn't even flinch. He says, you are the Christ. And the implication is this is the right answer. Now, what is a Christ? Right? So this is uh, the Greek word Christos. It means anointed one. It was uh, the word that the Jews used uh, to talk about their messianic king. This king that was uh, promised in the Old Testament. This king that was coming that would deliver them from oppression and uh, deliver them to freedom and hope. And uh, you might think of it as a, as a Moses, but better. Right? So this is who they're waiting on, this, uh, this Christos. Um, and this is a very controversial claim for anyone to say, I'm the Christos. And uh, so this is partly why Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody, right? So he's not saying it's not true. He's saying, I'm not quite ready to fully reveal uh, my identity. But Luke has already been revealing this through what Jesus has been uh, doing. And so we might think of it this way as, as this coupling of authority and power. So our position and power. That, that Jesus has this position of the Messianic King and he's been showing it before he's telling us. Right? Mm -hmm. um, we saw this kind of played out uh, in the life of uh, our U.S. President this week where he said in, in a, 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 um, a, a press conference where he said uh, the President has the control over Everything, basically, right? And so he's saying, I have an authoritative position, and because I have this authoritative position, I have the power. I have total control, I think was the quote. Uh, 
few hours later had a head-on collision with the Constitution and found out that, yes, he does have a position of authority, but there's not that much power that's related to the position of authority. And what we see Jesus doing is kind of the opposite, right? He's showing the power up front and then letting that tell what kind of a, a position of authority that he has. Um, we've seen this in chapter 7 and 8, right? We see this back and forth between Jesus and the centurion about authority and power right after that, a miracle of raising someone from the dead. Then in chapter 8, you see him uh, displaying power over uh, sickness, over a storm, over demons, over death. So it's just been this buildup in the Gospel of Luke of him showing power time after time after time. But not only that, he's saying that he has power to forgive sin. Now this is said multiple times, but you may remember back in the story of the paralytic that's dropped through the hole in the roof. And uh, obviously they want Jesus to heal this man of his uh, paralysis. But in Luke 5 verse 24, Jesus says this, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. He's declaring a position of authority when he says son of man, right? That's a, another term for the promised uh, Messiah. And then he's showing the power that's coupled with that position of authority. Now this gets us into the next question. What Jesus came to accomplish. Uh, what he came to accomplish is to alleviate sin and sin's effects. This is, this is the, 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 the mission of the Messiah. Uh, and this makes sense, right? So he's showing power over these things like sin and, and our, uh, sickness and demons and uh, death and a storm. And, and the root of all these things is sin. Everything that's wrong in the world uh, at its root is sin. Now that, that doesn't mean we can trace every bad thing in the world to a particular person who committed some kind of an act and therefore it's their fault. But just in general that the universe is infected with sin and the effects of that are everything that's wrong in the world. Now how is Jesus going to accomplish this uh, power over sin? Well, we see this in verse 22 saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. Now, this is a, a startling statement. And, and when you read this statement in Matthew 16, you see Peter uh, rebuking Jesus and saying, no, this is never going to happen. Uh, and, and so it wasn't that well received even by the disciples. But this is the only way that King Jesus is going to exert power over sin is that he is going to die on the cross in place of sinners. Um, so think of it this way. Jesus is going to use his authority as king to exert the power over sin. Um, now in this statement of verse 22, he doesn't address sin. He just addresses his death. But then afterwards in the book of Luke, again and again, Jesus is going to tie his death with taking care of the problem of sin. You may remember when he institutes the Lord's Supper. We looked at this uh, over Holy Week in Luke 22, verses 19. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, 
this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Here he is in the midst of a Passover celebration where they're eating a, a, a little a lamb that's been sacrificed for sin. Then as he breaks bread, he speaks in sacrificial language, that of which the, the, the sacrifice being broken open. And when the sacrifice is broken open, then blood pours out of the sacrifice. And he's saying that's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be broken open and his blood poured out. You may remember on the cross in Luke's account, he says, Father, forgive them. Right? He's letting us know why it is that he's dying on the cross. It is to forgive sins. Then in Luke 24, after his resurrection, he says to his disciples, uh, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So that's the same thing he says back in chapter 9, but then he adds, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Being very clear there, that his death is tied to uh, the forgiveness of of sin. So these are big questions, right, that are being answered here in these few short verses. Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus has come to save us from our sin. Uh, and now, how does he want us to respond? Verse 23, and this is the theme verse of our sermon series follow. He says to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is the response that he desires, is that we would follow him. Uh, not follow him like a fan, not just be curious about Jesus or know some stuff about Jesus or look up Jesus now and again when we find ourselves in, in a desperate place. But he says that following him is akin to death, not just death, but death on a cross and not just death on a cross, but death on a cross daily. Let's talk about that, what that means. So think about death. We, we've been thinking about a lot about death lately, right? Usually we try to keep death hidden. We don't talk about death in the media. Uh, we don't talk about death rates in nursing homes and how many bodies are in morgues and things like that. We, we just want to keep that uh, hidden. But we can't help it these days. We, we've been talking a lot about death. And, and, and so death is terrible. Everyone agrees. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or you're not. Uh, but why is it so bad, right? Um, well, there's a lot of reasons, obviously, why death is bad. But one is, is that it is so comprehensive. Think about this. Let's say you have an amputation. You, you, it's bad, but you're still alive. You're still you. You can still be a friend. You can be a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife or an employee uh, if you've had an amputation. Even if, let's say, you're paralyzed from the neck down. That's bad. But you're still you. Like, like, like you can still be a friend. You can be a brother or a sister. You, you can even be an employee uh, if, if you're in that kind of a state. But if you're dead, every cell in your body shuts down. And so, so Jesus is, is using this to, to point to the reality of what does it mean to be his disciple, to uh, follow him. And so spiritually speaking, every cell of your body dies to allegiance to yourself. And then the, every cell in your body raises in allegiance to King Jesus. Th th this is discipleship. Th this, this is why, in part, he's using 
this image of death. This is the image of baptism. Right? This, this is why we baptize by immersion. Like we put all of you under the water. I mean, if you've got a little bit of poofy hair, I, I will hold you down even deeper to make sure that even your poofy hair gets baptized. It, it, it's, it, it's an image of every part of, of your life. Not just your Sunday morning schedule and you know the 50 bucks you might throw on the plate here or there. Well, it's talking about your whole life, your body, your thoughts, your relationships, your money, your time, your talents, every cell, spiritually speaking, of your life being baptized in to Jesus. But he doesn't use, just use the, the, the image of death. It's death by crucifixion. Now, this is a particularly vivid image in the first century. People were being crucified in the Roman Empire all the time. And, and I think we've said this before, but, but one of the things that happens is if someone is sentenced to crucifixion, they are completely stripped of all their rights. Even in, in our judicial system, even if you're on death row, you still have some civil rights to be treated with, with some dignity, but not in the Roman Empire. If you're sentenced to crucifixion, you have no rights, which is, which is why as you're, you're carrying your crossbar to the place of execution, people could spit on you, they could mock you, they, they could slap you, and there'd be no repercussions because you've lost complete, complete rights, complete self-determination. And, and this is part of what Jesus is, is getting at. Is, is that if you become his disciple, you've given up all of your rights to self-determination. Now, King Jesus is the one who is determining your life. So that leads to the next question. Well, what, what happens if I do respond in this way? What happens if I don't? This is answered in verses 24 and 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So what happens if you do respond by following Jesus? Uh, you experience life. That's a bit of a paradox, right? But, but you're losing your life in Jesus to be raised to experience true Life. Death to self leads to life in Jesus. So just like Jesus' cross is a death to life story, the disciples' cross is a death to life story. Now your death to life is not saving you and saving everyone else like Jesus' cross, but there is a sense in which you are experiencing in a once for all way, but also in a daily way, this death to life story. We'll talk more later uh, about what that might look like. Now, what if I don't respond to Jesus' uh, call to follow? What, it, what happens, he says, is that you, your attempt to save yourself and not take Jesus up on the salvation that he's offering will lead to death. He says you will lose yourself. Um, I've used this image as well, but this image of, let's say, you're drowning and... I'm trying to help you, right? I'm, I'm reaching my hand out. I'm trying to help you uh, and save you from drowning. And you say, no, I don't want help. I want to keep my control. I want to remain independent in this state that I'm in. And so in a sense, yes, you are in control. And yes, you are independent. But that control and independence is leading to your death. And this is what we see 
in the, in the imagery that Jesus gives us is that if, if you seek to save yourself, maintain independence, maintain control, and not release and surrender that control to King, uh, Savior King Jesus, uh, you end up experiencing death. And that death is in this life, but also in the life um, to come. Uh, so these, these are some big questions, right? I, I, again, this is such an, a pivotal text. So uh, answering the question, who is Jesus? He's the Messianic King, right? The, the, what is his uh, mission or what does he want to accomplish? He's, he's accomplishing uh, defeat of sin and all of sin's effects to the cross. And the response that he's calling us to is a comprehensive allegiance to him. Denying ourselves, taking up our, our cross. And, and the result of that is life. So there may be some of you there that you're listening to this and, and you said, you know, I know some things about Jesus. I'm curious about Jesus. I'm sympathetic maybe about uh, Christianity. But you, you've never answered the, the question, who do you say that Jesus is with the answers given in this text? And so my encouragement to you this morning is, is to do that today, to, to believe in your heart that, yes, he, he died on the cross for your sins and he has risen from the dead. He, he has, yes, uh, declared he has authority, but, but he has proven that authority uh, with the power that he has displayed, especially uh, in the resurrection, and to place your faith in him and what he's done for you uh, today. Now, I think this brings some, some questions. I, I know as I looked at this text, uh, questions that came up to me, and uh, I'm, I'm going to go through a couple of those questions, but then also you are, are, are certainly encouraged to put questions in uh, the Facebook feed there so that we can uh, answer the questions that you have on your mind. So the first, first question is, you know, we see in Luke's Gospel, we see him... Uh, kind of giving this resume of miracles that, that prove that Jesus is who he said he is. And so what sort of proof is Jesus offering today? And so first I would say that, that Jesus continues to authenticate himself and his message uh, through the miraculous. Uh, and so that, that, that is certainly part of what we see in the, in the ongoing ministry uh, of the church on planet Earth. Um, but the biggest authentication is, is what uh, C.S. Lewis calls the grand miracle, which is the resurrection. Uh, this is what we just uh, celebrated last Sunday on, on Easter. And so th this is the, 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 the greatest sign, so to speak, that, that Jesus points to and says, this is the reason you should believe that I am who I say I am and I've done what I say that I've done. You see him hinting at this in uh, Matthew chapter 12 when some scribes and Pharisees are asking him. They say, um, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For, Jonah had, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's Jesus' way of letting them know. Uh, at least in that moment, he's like, I'm not going to give you any kind of miraculous signs except I'm going to be resurrected. And he points them to this grand uh, miracle. Second question, I think, is, well, what does denying myself, taking up my cross daily, following Jesus, what, what does that look like? And so one way to think about it is uh, we want to renounce and we want to replace 
This is going to be this ongoing experience in the life of the Christian of renouncing uh, attitudes and behaviors that are not consistent with the rule and reign of King Jesus and replacing those with attitudes and behaviors that are consistent with the rule and reign of King Jesus. And the way this occurs uh, in large part is the renewal of our minds. Uh, we see Paul summing that up well in Colossians 3, 9 and 10. He says, do not lie to one another. So he's talking about a behavior. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. So you hear Paul giving that uh, put off, put on, or renounce and replace these attitudes and behaviors. And the way you do that is the renewal of your mind uh, in the knowledge of the gospel. So you might say, okay, so here's an example. Um, let's say you, you know, you're living 24-7 with your family right now. Uh, you're pretty frustrated and angry inside, and that's coming out with you being short and impatient. You recognize that is not consistent with attitudes and behaviors that uh, align with the, the rule and reign of King Jesus, right? So you're confessing those to the Lord, uh, but then you're asking for grace to put on love and put on patience uh, and, and loving interaction, right? And so that, that, that's what deny yourself, take up your cross daily uh, looks like in the life uh, of a Christian. It's, I think for the most part it's the little things um, that you're just you're being faithful and obedient. You're honoring Christ in those things. And as you experience that over time, um, he's, he's transforming you. He's changing you. He's shaping you. Just like Paul says, in the image of your uh, creator. Then third question is, how, how do you make sense of people that would say, yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus, but they don't seem to have any interest in taking up the cross, denying themselves, and following Jesus. Uh, that's a complex thing to try to uh, untangle. But uh, one of, the, one of the, the, the things to think about um, is it's, it's possible that people are not yet a Christian. Right? Maybe, maybe they believe intellectually the, the things about Jesus, but they, they've not yet uh, believed in their heart that Jesus is risen from the dead uh, and trusted in Christ. Um, Jesus talks about these kind of folks. Uh, Matthew seven twenty one. he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see Jesus saying it, it is possible to be confessing with your mouth uh, but not genuinely believing at a heart level, and therefore not really producing any kind of, uh, of life change. Um, it could also be a genuine Christian who's lost their way, right? For different reasons, they, they've grown cold or tired or weary or angry. And, and, and this is where the body of Christ comes in, to, to come around uh, the brother or sister who has lost their way and to pray for them, encourage them, spur one another on, right, is, is what the writer of Hebrews says. And uh, so it could be that kind of situation. Uh, it could also be a lack of discipleship, right? It could be just, they just don't know what it means to take up uh, one's cross, deny themselves, and follow uh, Jesus. Um, there's a, an old book on discipleship called D Disciples Are Made, Not Born. And so uh, everyone must enter into uh, an intentional process, of being formed, of being shaped um, as a disciple and learning well, what does it mean to take up your cross daily 
and uh, follow Jesus. This is why we have discipleship groups, right? Like, like this, is, this is what we're doing as a church to, to, to try and help people come to a better understanding of what it means uh, to believe rightly about the gospel, but then put those beliefs into practice on a, a day-to-day uh, basis. So let's look at some other questions here. Uh, can you expand on why Jesus wouldn't want his followers to tell anyone who he really is? This exhortation just seems so counterintuitive. Yeah, I think at this point in his ministry, he's, he's trying to drive down deep uh, the, the, the person he is, the understanding of the person he is, and, and the mission that he has in a few followers. And in those few followers, through them, he's going to, to, to bring the message uh, to the world, which seems to have worked pretty well, right? Like we have billions of Christians right now. And, and the reason uh, being is because the witness of those first few uh, disciples rather than becoming kind of a sideshow. Because what we see, what we see happening is once people uh, start thinking, oh, you're, you're the Messiah, uh, they start coming out in droves. But, but they're not really all that interested in uh, Jesus' genuine mission. So you see that like, kind of like Palm Sunday, right? They come out like crazy because they're thinking, he is the Messiah. Um, but by the end of the week, uh, we see them uh, calling for his crucifixion. Good question. Thanks, Joanna. All right. Well, thanks for, for the question, uh, and uh, feel free to, to give us more questions. If you think of some things, uh, we'd, we'd love to engage about those things. We'd also love to follow up. I was telling the, the, the team here this morning, just uh, one of the things I'm, I'm missing is uh, people processing the gospel, people uh, you know, hearing things in the sermon, and then they want to follow up. They want to talk about it after the service or meet up for coffee during the week. And so uh, we as a staff, we would love to follow up. If there's a way for us to continue a conversation that maybe um, the things that we've said today have stimulated, we, we would love uh, to do that.